Can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can. All right, let's wait for... Uh... Okay. All right, I think we've all done it, because it says on mine that we are connected. Yeah. Yep, I hear everybody. Can we are hear? live right now recording. Right, Is this on private? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, we don't, I don't have it open where we can share it. We can. I'm still going to go through here and mess around with this and see if I can uh, see what else. I don't really see any many settings with this as we're in the call. So I guess this is it. So you should be able right, to flag. So, in you, what now? you should be able to, like, if we make a mistake or something you want to add, you should be able to, like, when I was doing some solo practice earlier, you can flag it and then go back afterwards and edit it. Yeah, I'll probably be able to do that afterwards because it's not giving me any like options in the screen with the actual recording. Okay, gentlemen. So, uh, what is the topic that you want to talk about specifically? Let's start out with that. Well, let's look at this right quick. I want to talk about this really cool um, that was just popped up here. I'm on Google, and it says on here the the uh, Lincoln Project founder says that Fox News Tucker Carlson is the front runner for the 2024 GOP nomination. And it says that I think that Tucker Carlson is the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2024, said the Lincoln Project co-founder Steve Schmidt on Friday. So what do y'all think about that? So uh, for me, in my personal opinion, I think Tucker Carlson's a really great uh, host for Fox. I think he gives... I know a lot of people may view him as a conservative, but I do believe whenever he says he's pretty midline because he get, he gives flack to both sides. I mean, he he will rail on Republicans, but most of the time he does rail on Democrats. So I think him being a uh, a GOP nomination choice might be questionable to some people because, it, like I said, he has railed both sides, but he's had good reason to. So... Where where exactly is this? Is this like a poll on Lincoln Project? I'm right here on Lincoln Project right now, and does it show like is this like some kind of poll of like people wanting him to run? No, it's on Newsweek.com. Um, I just went to my Google and went to like some of the main stories coming out now, uh-huh. and it just pops up here that the Lincoln Project founder says that he's the front runner in 2024, and um, I'm very, I'm very, I, I mean, I'm kind of surprised. But at the same time, I'm not because Tucker Carlson is a really good candidate. But I was thinking someone more on the line of that somebody already in politics, you know, like you talk about Ted Cruz or you talking about Dan Crenshaw, you know, or um, Nikki Haley. We're thinking about other people that are already established in politics. And Tucker Carlson's really cool. I like him. And you're right. He gives flag to both sides. I think he's in the middle. He doesn't just come off as a one side biased man. He really right. gives he really gives people on both sides of the aisle exactly what what they deserve. What do you think about that, Luke? I think he would be good. Um, the only downside I would see is that the left is probably not going to like him at all. Uh, I'm already seeing articles that a lot of them they read the same thing that you just read, and that a lot of them are calling him out for being a nationalist. Um, so that wow. that might be concerning if he tried to run well here's the thing about that a lot of people like to conflate nationalism with uh fascism and nazism and that's just not the case 
Oh, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I understand you agree with me with that, but that's what a lot of people on the left just immediately say because their go-to card is to yell out racism or sexism or you being xenophobic and so forth. And that, honestly, at this point, is just a tiring thing to say about anybody. But with Tucker Carlson having such a large history, I mean, he did, uh, to my best of my knowledge, start out on CNN with a show. And uh, he ended up coming to Fox News. And like I said, I believe he gives uh, a really good breath to Fox versus a lot of other uh, people who do uh, run with Fox News. I think a lot of people see him down the line. And that's the reason why his ratings right now are so big. I mean, uh, recently he hit, uh, uh, I think he broke records for the most uh, watched uh, TV show in cable history. I mean, he was hitting like 5 million views a night, I believe, or something like that. It was something crazy for like 30 days straight. Like he he destroyed uh, Sean Handy's record for uh, Fox News. And Sean Handy ran with it for a long time. And. Yeah. Uh, and so did uh, what was his name? O'Reilly. Uh, O'Reilly had good numbers too before he had to be uh, taken off the show. So I don't know if Tucker Carlson would be a really good choice. I don't think he's he has. You can find on YouTube certain uh, interviews that he's done, and he's actually done debate. He's done debate against Chank Uger from uh, the Young Turks, and yeah. uh, he gave some really good arguments and uh, Chank and. I, I, he he gave some uh, arguments back, some that I don't agree with, but it, it is a debate. I don't know if he would be the best choice, considering uh, some of the lines of attack that they can give him. Like you know, he's just a he's just a Fox News puppet and stuff like that. And a lot of, not a lot of people are very uh, are very friendly towards Fox for a numerous amount of reasons. Uh, for example, whenever Roger Ailes was running it and all that, there was a lot of uh, flack around Roger Ailes about uh, sexual harassment stuff and all that, and that kind of gave them a bad reputation. Um, I think, like Alice was talking about earlier, uh, candidates like uh, Nikki Haley will be a really good choice. And uh, a few other people, I, there was a few other people that were talking during his during President Trump's uh, the the Republican convention that they had, there were a few other people that were talking up there that I really liked. Well, who was that guy that said those famous words? My family and one generation went from cotton to Congress. Do you remember who I'm talking about, Alex? Uh, I have no idea. But you know that's that that a uh, line though from the Republican uh convention. It was like the most talked about thing. Like that guy's family went from cotton to Congress in one generation. Oh, that's Tim Scott. Yeah, Tim Scott. I think Tim Scott uh, could run, and I think he would do a pretty good job at that. Um, Nikki Haley would be one. I was thinking, and I've uh, talked to Alex about this, that I thought that uh, Donald Trump Jr. may try to run, but that is obviously going to be hugely dependent on if Trump wins this uh, election that we're currently still in right now for some reason. Yeah, uh, I was I was just about to say, what do all y'all think about Don Jr. running? I personally don't like Don Jr. I personally don't like anybody else in the Trump family except for Trump. I think that Don Jr. is going to try to showboat what his father did. And I think that he's going to, because Don Jr. has already come out even while Donald Trump has been president. And he said some off-the-wall things, some things that were not true. 
he kind of reminds me of a middle-aged dad now on Facebook that gets a hold of satire articles and then says, oh, look, this is true. And you're like, oh, you have to read the fine print. It's satire. And I think he's like that. And I really don't like Don Trump Jr. I don't think he'd be a good candidate. I mean, we're staring at the eyes of greatness with Dan Crenshaw, a Navy SEAL that went to Harvard Law School. You really can't add anything else to your resume and get more impressive. Yeah, Dan Crenshaw is good, but he's had a couple of things that have concerned me. He's a proponent of the red flag laws and a couple other things that he did. But other than that, well, he, he might I, and you're right. Too. You're right. You're completely right about the red flag gun law. And, and now this is something I'd like. I wish I wish we could actually talk to them one on one because there's not a lot of people that are going to just straight up ask Dan Crenshaw, be like, hey, why are you, you know, why are you for red flag gun laws? I think Dan Crenshaw was so smart that he is actually saying that he's for a red flag gun law just so that way the liberals know that he actually has a little bit of gun control in him so they'll be more lenient to vote towards him. But if he was president, I don't think he would enact that at all. Yeah, that's, that's possible. And I think there's a lot of politicians that do things like that as well. I don't yeah, believe a lot of. Oh, go. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's there, it's true. There's a lot of politicians lean that way, and I honestly think that even if he was a proponent of that, it's it's a lot better than Biden wanting to do a mandatory buyback program quotes for the AR-15 uh, variation rifle. Oh yeah. Um, even even though it's, it's not considered a buyback, it's mandatory. That's not really a mandatory buyback. That's called confiscation. And I really don't see how that's going to hold up in a conservative-controlled Supreme Court. And I don't see how it's going to hold up when half of the population owns an AR-15 rifle or a firearm in general. You're not going to just walk into people's homes and take them. No. Especially when the people that are supposed to come get them are mainly conservatives. That said, they will not do that. Yeah, and the only and something else that's concerning is uh, the Supreme Court, them stacking it. They very well could go in and change the number of justices and, and shove through a uh, bunch of liberal judges. Let me hold you right there on that. Let me take a look at the Senate uh, stuff right now before we talk about that. Uh, I was going to go ahead and say that this Supreme Court actually looks like it's supposed to be where there's more constitutionalists and originalists on the uh, on the uh, on the stand. Out of the nine, we know of uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and we know that uh, it was the very first one that he had uh, appointed. Alex, who uh, one of the Supreme Court justices was it uh, Neil Gorsuch? I believe that's him. Yeah, his name is something or another like that. Uh, so, right now what I'm seeing, and I'm looking at Google specifically, unless you have a more reliable source, I'm looking right here and it says the Democratic Party has 46 and the Republican, had, Republican Party has 48. The Republicans have 48, and right now there's, there's two more in consideration. And those two in consideration right now that I'm seeing, um, there's one from North Carolina. His name's Tom Tillis. Right now, 98% of the votes are in. Tom Tillis has 48.7%. And then his his oppressor is Cal Cunningham with 46.9%. So Tom's up ahead right now by over 100,000 votes. He looks like he's going to secure North Carolina. And then Alaska, Alaska's pretty much a runaway. No, it's not. There's 50% reporting in Alaska. Dan Sullivan is the uh, leader right now. 
with 62.3% of the vote. He has 118,000. And Al Gross is the opposer. He's got 32.1% of the vote with 61,000. So it looks like the Republicans are going to get their two extra ones right here. But then there's Georgia. These two are going to go to a runoff. And the way that I'm hearing it from everybody else and the way that that state's working, other than this presidential thing, is that it's supposed to be two extra ones in our favor. So at the end of the day, we should have 50 right in our in our, uh, in our our Senate for the Republicans, and then we should have two more added to have our majority of 52. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a 48-52, uh, and I believe before the election it was a 53-47. And I am counting Bernie Sanders and all of them in there as well because they're considered independent, even though they're uh, they've been running on a Democratic platform whenever they have tried running for president. So I am going to consider those uh, Democratic seats, might as well. Unless that one other quote unquote. Uh, person that's not in the Republican or Democrat party is not a uh, leaning Democrat, which uh, I'm pretty sure they're not leaning Republican. They may just be just a one-off seat, but it's still a Senate seat regardless, and Senate seats are very valuable, especially whenever you have numbers that are this tight to see who's the majority or who's not. And right. that's that right there is what the real shame is, that uh, a lot of bills – cannot be unanimously passed unless you have a 60 uh, vote on it. Whenever you have a, a majority, not, a, not just a simple majority, but you have to have a 60 vote majority. So uh, if Trump does lose the election and the Republicans have a majority in the Senate, then a lot of bills that Democrats may want to pass or may want to try to pack the court, they cannot do because, like I said, the Republicans have a majority unless they decide to go and follow along with them, which uh, there's no indication of that because Mitch McConnell is still going to take the reins. And um, I do not know who the Republican Senate whip is, but I'm sure it'll probably be the same person as, as before, and everybody will be held in line for the Republican Party, just like the Democratic Party is held in line with their ideas. Yeah, the Republican <laughs> Senate whip is Steve Scalise. I think that's the representative whip. Yeah, he's the House representative whip. Yeah, I don't know who the actual Senate whip is. That might be, what's his name? Uh, let me look right here. Uh, it's not Mitch McConnell. He's the leader. Is it Ted Cruz? Hold on, I'm looking right here on the website. You said the the Senate Minority Whip. No, Senate Majority Whip. I think oh. it's Ted Cruz, unless I'm just unless I'm crazy here. Might just said that because that's the one of the bigger names in the Republican Senate. Um. All it's giving me here is Mitch McConnell and, uh, and Schumer. And then John Thune. Yeah, I don't see nobody else. That might be who it is then, John Thune. Because both sides, both Senate and House, has whips. And they're basically, I believe they're looked at more like second-in-command kind of deal. The leader gives the orders, and then he's the one that's supposed to give it out, and everybody needs to follow in line. 
So that right. or really it that sounds more of like a like a army kind of thing. It's more like everybody needs to be on the same page kind of deal, if that makes sense. That's yeah, yeah. Majority whip is uh, John Thune. Okay, yeah. So that's mostly their job is to keep everybody lined up, and everybody knows what what their common goal is. Basically, they're a cheerleader. Um, They're glorified cheerleader that goes around trying to get everybody on the same page, making sure that everybody's like, "Hey, come on, we got to get yeah." They they whip up support. Yeah, and it's just like it says. Um, um, now I will say. I wish both of y'all would get on Netflix. I believe it's still on Netflix. I've got them on DVD. I wish y'all would watch this show called House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. I know Kevin Spacey gets a lot of hate, but this is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, and he's one of the greatest actors ever in this series. And he plays a Democratic um, Senate majority whip. No, he's a minority whip um, for a uh, corrupt... He's, he's basically for corrupt... He's corrupt, and it just shows this whole Democratic Party. Um, it's basically a spinoff of the, uh, the the left wing, I believe the wing from, from England. I forgot the actual name of it, but it's so good, and it's very good. It'd be something good I think both of y'all would like to watch, especially given the current state of politics today. With um, I'm not saying that every, every party is immune from corruption. Republicans and Democrats both have corruption. But it, it kind of, when you watch it and you kind of get this sense of what's going on today, it makes everything a little bit more more in perspective. It gives you goosebumps, too, especially when you think about this administration coming up with Biden and Harris, because I, don't, I do not think Biden and Harris are the best people for the job. I particularly do not like Harris more than Biden, um, mainly because Harris... Um, Y'all both know her uh, record of incarcerating black people for, you know, minor crimes and then turns around and acts like she's going to be the one to help um, reform crime with Joe Biden. Both people incarcerated more blacks than I think anybody. Well, he's responsible for the crime bill, I believe, of 1983, if that's the right year. I'm, I'm, I'm probably close on it. And Kamala did imprison a lot of people, mostly black people, for uh, minor uh, drug charges, like for uh, marijuana and stuff like that, which, in my personal opinion, I don't believe you should have to serve jail time for that because we're now in an age where that's a lot more accepted than it was back in the day. And I'm and I'm calling back in the day, the 80s and a little bit uh, before that. Yeah, the, the crime bill was in 94. Okay, so yep. I was all right. So I was off by a good decade, but either way, it was still in the past. Whenever he was in his prime, whenever he was basically uh, doing his best to call the shots on a lot of these bills that were being pushed out, and he bragged about essentially writing that bill. He, yep, so that he did. that should have gave a lot of people a heads up of who he really is and how he's not really changed that much from that time. And I'm looking right now on the Associated Press that there are 406 out of the 435 seats that have been called. So there are 29 seats left. Now, I will say this. uh, The Democratic Party have 212, and we have 194, the Republican Party. And uh, right here it says 
that uh, you need 218 for a majority, while uh, the Republican Party, they need to get, uh, let's see, they need to get 24 of those seats. So did uh, Biden and Harris call off their press conference they were going to give this evening? They done some, Biden done some kind of weird uh, nominee acceptance speech slash not nominee acceptance speech. Like he's, he talked about like what he's going to say whenever he gets it. That's what he done. And that literally makes no sense. I don't know why you don't just be quiet. And that right there should, should have been his best strong suit because that's what he done was stay quiet for most of the election cycle. And, uh, Right, didn't show up to a lot of places, but that was Trump's weakness was not being quiet uh, whenever he should have been. Sometimes, in my opinion, if you think about it, if you think about it, if Donald Trump would have deleted his Twitter, he probably would be president right now for sure. Well, we, I mean, possibly, but you, if if it's true about all the voter fraud, they've proved they've planned this for four years. Well, let's not get into too much antics about that. Right. We'll need to we'll need we'll need to let the courts uh, let their play out on that because there will be lawsuits on this and there will I I'm still going to hold to my prediction like I spoke to both of you about that this probably will not be resolved until another month because this seemed this seemed and I'm just going to say that I'm going to make that really clear seemed like it was awfully unusual how big big votes all of a sudden come up for Biden even though all the early voting should have already been counted. Because they had plenty of time, the early voting started in uh, early October, I believe, or the last week of September, if I'm uh, not mistaken. And a lot of this stuff should have already been counted and put in the books, and it should have already been there whenever votes were already being counted on election day, when people actually, the majority of people actually started voting. So, there's a couple of caveats that we need to be reminded of. We need to know the exact early voting count for each and every state, how many votes each and every state had in their early voting, and then they need to take and look at those and see uh, if those uh, within those votes are legitimized and verified or they are uh, suspicious uh, on the verge of fraudulent, and that's what they're going to have to do. And whether or not they have a system to do that or not, is still up in the air for me, but that is really the best solution that I can come up with, that they're going to figure out how many early votes were actually casted for each and every state and how they were tallied, because there are different systems for how they tally up votes. So it says here that Biden is going to have another press conference at 1130 tonight, so I guess that'll be like 1030 our time. I don't know if he's going to say a whole lot. I don't – he's – I well, he, here's what he's probably going to say. He's probably going to say that he's wanted. I mean, he's going to say that. But as far as, like, anything of new information, I don't believe he could possibly give anything because he's not the one that runs the Electoral College, the states right. do. And so, like I said, uh, Trump has Rudy Giuliani – really, I can't say his name – Rudy Giuliani and a whole bunch of other lawyers – out and about trying to figure out what's going on because uh, this does look suspicious. It does look very suspicious, but 
uh, I think we would be wise to to, to say that uh, we cannot just outright call it voter fraud. But there have been videos of of people who were in Arizona talking about how they were being told to use markers instead of pens. And uh, a lot of people know that if you use a marker on a ballot, it's going to get invalidated. I've got to interrupt you real quick. That was most of that was debunked with the Sharpie. Yeah, that was a lot of the Sharpie ballots are actually were being rerun and then manually counted. I know manually counted versus put inside the computer machine, um, the little scanner. I know that's going, that's a little bit more suspicious, but they weren't just completely running them through and letting them go bad. They were actually turning around and putting them in stacks of the Sharpie one saying, Hey, we need to go through and manually count these. But still, I mean, I think every American would agree with this. We're the most technologically advanced nation on the face of this planet. Why are we still voting with pens and Sharpies? Well, I think that they were still a surefire way to guarantee that every single one of them would be uh, verified. But I believe nowadays uh, it's come to the realization of people that voter fraud could actually be accomplished very easily. And like I reiterated before, I'm not saying that voter fraud has occurred in this election. There has been just a lot of suspicious activity that could end up being constituted as voter fraud if it can be proven. Right here, I'm reading on the uh, New York Times. So right now, the Democrats have 48 seats. The Republicans have 48 seats in the Senate. There's four seats remaining. One is in Alaska. One is in North Carolina. And there's two in Georgia. And it's uh, looking like the Republicans are going to get the one in North Carolina. It says there's 97% of votes reported in North Carolina. And the Republican is up ahead by 110,000 votes. And in Alaska, um, with 56% of the votes, the Republican is up ahead by 100,000 votes. So it looks like the Republicans are going to get up to the 50. But this is going to be very close here for this uh, these two Georgia seats. This is a special with two. And uh, it's going to be crazy. Okay, let's do one last topic before we uh, stop our recording. Let's talk about some damage control that could, that's going to more than likely happen after these election results are completely verified and it ends. So we'll go through two scenarios. Uh, number one, we'll go with the scenario that looks like the most possible to happen at the moment. Uh, so if Biden ends up taking it all, what do both of you think would be the damage control or what do you think is going to result from Biden winning this after everything that we have learned of the early voting and how a lot of votes got counted in really late and they're taken up to today on Friday to be completely verified? What What do you think first, Alex? And then we'll go to Luke. Um, let's, let's let Luke go. He hasn't talked much. Well, I mean, they're going to have to reform – the way we vote completely. And it's going to take somebody smarter than me to decide what we're going to do. Um, 
I like the way Alabama does it. Like I said before, it seemed to be efficient, pretty secure. It'd be really hard to cheat here because, like I said, you know, you, you put your uh, license down and they scan it in the computer. Then you, uh, you know, you sign for it and they give you a ballot that's numbered that matches up with your license. Then you fill it out and put it through a machine and it's locked up. So in a lot of these states where they're having fraud or, you know, alleged fraud, they hand count a lot of them or they have, you know, the just the unlocked boxes of stuff. So I don't I don't know exactly how we would do it better, but something has to change because this is not working. Okay, so you believe uh, a great big change needs to occur that may involve uh, all three branches of the government, and I'm including the Supreme Court in that, in order for something to swiftly change. Is that what you're saying? Well, I I don't know if... Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Well... It's it's more complicated than that because this is the United States and we're split down the middle and it'll continue to be complicated. And if the liberals find out that this is how they won this election was by troublesome times with the voting, you're going to have a lot of people wouldn't be surprised if Nancy Pelosi just come out and strictly just said, no, we're not, we don't need to do anything that's related to transforming the vote, even though uh, Tulsi Gabbard introduced a bill to try to curb some of this. Let me see if I can look this up for sure. She had a she had a bill. Yeah, right here it is. Representatives Tulsi Gabbard and Rodney Davis introduced a bill to ban vote harvesting and protect mail-in ballots from third-party predators. I haven't gotten into most of this, but, I mean, it's even, even, uh, what's the president from Georgia? No one likes him. Jimmy Carter. Even Jimmy Carter thought mail-in voting was a bad idea. I mean, if you think about it, there's people out there, reports of people that move from state to state and they change their address. And even their mail-in ballots comes to their house in another state. So there's people out there in other states like Florida that might be getting a mail-in ballot from places like South Carolina. And they still vote in South Carolina's election while voting in Florida's election. We have to have a uniform way of voting, but it does not need to be on the national level. Because think about it. If you have one centralized voting system in Washington, D.C., and then it goes down you're going to have nationwide outage. But in Alabama, Alabama did it good. Alabama had, uh, I forgot how many votes, counted them the quick, um, pretty simple. We didn't have any kind of hiccups at all. I'll go ahead and, and tell uh, you that. I, I'll go ahead and tell you that vote. The total vote count was 2.2 uh, million votes is what we had. And it doesn't even, I know people are like, well, Georgia's a lot bigger than Alabama. Alabama is still like a miniature version of Georgia with our own little mini Atlanta, which is Birmingham, and we still flew through it quick. Florida is the same size as Georgia population-wise, and they got theirs done. Okay, so they, uh, they, oh, I'm sorry. I, I know I keep interrupting you, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you the total votes right here if you don't mind. Uh, for Georgia, there are 5 million votes. 
So that's double Alabama's. But for Florida, just to reinforce your argument, it's uh, 10 million votes. 10.6 million votes is what they counted, and they were done. Right. They were done a lot quicker. Of course, you know, they had the 2000 fiasco. So they really jumped on the gun, got got on the ball, and fixed their problems. And it's just like North Dakota. North Dakota's governor, I forgot her name, she come out and spoke about how she's like, yeah, you can be a Democrat or Republican, and you can come in and watch all the votes be counted. And you have to have a voter ID to vote here. And we got our votes done lickety-split real quick, and everybody got to watch it. Nothing was hidden in the distance. And that's how it needs to be. Everybody, needs, But I want it more secure than that. I want it so that way if you're even thinking about trying to, like, turn in a fake ballot, there's no there's no way. Like in Alabama, you have to scan your driver's license, lay it down, and then you're placed in line, and you have to put it down on a ballot. I want even more than that. It needs to be more than that. It needs to be that when you scan your vote, you can see it up on a screen, and it says, congratulations, Alexander Kelly. You just voted for these people and this and that, and your vote has been accepted at this time, and then it might give you a confirmation number. And then you can write down that confirmation number, have it printed off like a receipt, and you get to keep it with you. And you can even add something like that, like a receipt. And you can go even further and even further, and you can go on and even further. We could do something online where we had a database, and you can make a little passcode. And when you go to vote, you have to enter your password so you can vote. I mean, there's all kind of things that you can do, and especially when you get, if you were to have like a whole Congress talking about this, or a Senate, you could get a lot more cool, fancy ideas because you have a lot more people out there that can come out with some really cool ideas that I can't come up with. Um, but that could be something for sure. And I, I know what people think. People are like, well, what about the computers? We don't need to just rely on computers because what if the computers fail? You're right. Computers can fail. And if computers fail, there needs to be backup plans and contingency plans on paper. But it needs to be the if it does go to paper, you have to have police officers watching you vote. You need to have people volunteer, like lawmakers come in, lawyers, um, all members of your uh, county GOP and Democratic parties come in and watch, and then have everything recorded too and videoed and going through multiple processes of pass where you keep watching and you keep looking at each individual paper, and that way you know for a fact that this is not being this is not being harvested or this is not being replicated in any form or fashion. This is completely fine, and I agree with this ballot. And you send it off, and you might have you know different people signing off on different ballots, and you have might have a you know a guy in the other end of the room that's a member of the GOP, and another guy at the end of the room that's a member of the Democratic Party. And they're both taking ballots and looking at them like, this is fine. And they're putting them in the thing. And they're both putting them in and they're watching. Right, them. right. So there's, there's there's all kind of different ways that you can go about it. But there needs to be a change. And mail-in ballots need to be stopped. I don't know how you can justify sending in a mail-in ballot. I know people talk about the COVID times like, oh, we got COVID. We got to be safe. Okay, wear your masks. Be six feet apart. And then that's pretty much it. Wash your that's hands. a good bit of it right there. I mean, if you're going to go out, these people are literally think we're so stupid that they say we don't need to be going out and voting in person. But it's completely fine if 200,000 people go to downtown New York City and then burn down half the city and then destroy cop cars. That's fine. Oh, right. by the way, that doesn't increase COVID cases. So well, that's, something that, that's something that needs to be um, 
talked about and spoken about, but it's only going to be spoken about in the conservative states because Democratic states, people won't bring that up. And if it is, it's it's squashed. So basically for you, yours, yours has been a lot more of a, a detailed analysis. Uh, I, so basically, safe, so as far as the safety concerns, I believe we should all be uh, looking at our CDC guidelines. I mean, they're the people that are supposed to help us in these uncertain times. So I don't believe there should be any kind of argument for that. And if there are argument for it, if there are arguments for it, I believe that's kind of uh, illegitimate because they should be the people uh, with the duty to tell us what we need to do. We're supposed to trust them. So whenever these lawmakers do come out and say like, "Oh no, we need to do mail-in voting," well, you need to see a non-partisan. Uh, organization tell us what we need to do for that because we do rely on a lot of nonpartisan organizations. For example, whenever our uh, what is that financial committee that we rely on that d- that does the interest rates and all that? I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about or not, but they uh, they're the ones that handle uh, most of our money situations. The treasury, the federal, or the Federal Reserve. Uh, they have a whole nother name. They're an organization that's supposed to be completely nonpartisan and they handle like finances and stuff like that for this country. The open market operation. I'm not sure. Well, we'll, we'll just, we'll skim over that. Okay. So the other thing that you were talking about was the way that we handle our databases. So basically what you're saying is each and every state needs to have their own database, but it needs to be heavily secured with what guidelines you were talking about. But there, but there should also be a federal one as well that keeps all of them too. So it's like a backup. Is that what true? Is that, is that what you're essentially saying? Basically, the federal side of it will back it up, but the states are responsible for holding the primary database because it is their state. Um, the, of course, the state should be the ones you know monitoring it, taking charge of it. I don't care what the feds do at this point. But this is these states need to have their votes protected and they need to have a uniform system of voting because it needs to be laid out perfectly. And it is in the Constitution right. that if you have any kind of votes come in after Election Day, they're not supposed to be counted. Yeah. I don't know necessarily if in the Constitution it's laid out about after Election Day, but I'm pretty sure the Supreme Court said before that, hey, we haven't said anything about this. And that's why it's called Election Day. And I think if anybody has any kind of common sense about it, if this would be going in a Republican favor, you would have CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBC, BBC, all these other places coming out and saying, hey, we don't need to be doing this. You don't need to be taking these ballots after Election Day and counting them. Right. And then we could be like, well, look back in 2020. Y'all did the same thing. Well, that was a different time. We couldn't. Yeah, yada, yada. So yeah, so literally, we can all we can all come together and be bipartisan about this. So that and we can under we can understand that this is not something that needs to be going on. Yeah, so that leads me into the second scenario that I was about to talk about. What if after all this is done, instead of Joe Biden winning it, it comes out that these states have had fraudulent votes, and let's say that uh, when I'm looking at this electoral map right now, that Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Michigan and Wisconsin flipped to red, and then Donald Trump wins resoundingly after it, it. After all this was just found out in the Supreme Court, like you were talking about, since there are constitutionalists and originalists that believe in actually reading the Constitution as it says, uh, turns these over. 
what what kind of damage control do you think is going to have to occur for that? Do you think, Luke, that it's just going to be a complete burn down of our political systems and the way that everybody sees the government now? No, there. No, I don't think that will happen. But there will be riots in the streets for weeks. The next four years, they'll they'll make the last four years and all the things that they did to oppose Trump. They'll they'll make that look like child's play. They will try to impeach him. They'll probably have multiple attempts at impeaching him if he wins for nothing. They'll make things up. Well, but, uh, what we'll have to see if uh, the Democrats do hold the House of Representatives. It looks like that the Republicans will take the Senate, but we're not for sure about the House of Representatives. Um, I'm going to probably go ahead and say that they will have the House. But like I said, we'll have to see about that. Is there anything else you want to add to that, Luke? No. Uh, that they'll just be mass riots in the streets for a long time. How about you, Alex? What do you think about that second scenario that I brought up? Like, what if all of these states all of a sudden flipped like a lot of people originally thought during election day that uh, he would take Arizona by slim margin or take Nevada by slim margin and sweep up Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin by a 2 to 3% vote margin? It would be the original play out. It would be Donald Trump be elected. People go out and burn down the streets. You give it about three or four months. People calm down. Go back to Facebook saying Russian collusion. And then we go back to the good old days of uh, watching LSU getting demolished on every Saturday night. So that's that's exactly what would happen. It would just be the same. And at this point, I'm pessimistic because I keep saying just I just keep saying so much that I didn't think would happen. Me and you were literally watching TV, and we were like, we got a good chance at this. We got this election. We were ahead by millions of votes in every state. We literally looked down at our paper for five minutes and looked up, and Trump has made no changes to the ballot count, but Biden is steamrolling coming back. And then little by little, he takes Georgia, Pennsylvania. He almost takes North Carolina. He took freaking Virginia, took Michigan, took Wisconsin. He's taking back a bigger lead in Nevada. Arizona, I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't know what to think of it. I really don't. So, I'll, I'll, all right, so we'll go ahead and uh, close that off right there. And I'm going to ask just one last question. When do you think the, uh, this, I'm going to call it this supreme division and polarization. Do you think that it's going to last for more and more years? Do you think that it's just going to keep getting reignited over and over again and just keep burning like an old lamp? Because for me personally, I believe that that's what that's just what's going to keep happening. I believe our leaders are going to keep inciting people over and over again until they get their way, and that's for both sides that I'm calling about. Uh, Democrats have done it more than what Republicans have, but I'm still going to call both sides on it because it can potentially happen to the Republicans as well. What do you think about that, Lou? Do you think that this polarization will eventually end uh, as the years go by, or do you think that this will just keep on coming up and coming up and eventually come to a, uh, a fine point? I don't think it's going away anytime soon. If ever, um, I think at this point we're going through a slow burn, and it'll, it'll take something major, really major, to uh, to stop it. Okay, I'll go ahead and ask you this: What do you think would be the? How should I word this? One of the 
few ways that unity would occur in the country would some kind of massive war have to occur like during the days in the 30s and 40s whenever World War II occurred and everybody was in lockstep together in this country in order to fight that in order to win it and then be able to live together do you think that something like that's going to have to occur or do you think that there's not much of an option in that with the way the polarization has been it's possible that something like that could help unite the country but this is the, these generations are in they're an entirely different type of person than its people were back then. I'm not so sure that they would unite even with something as big as that. I don't think they would, honestly. I I, I can see that. What do you think, Alex? What do you think about uh, the polarization, and what do you think what it would take to unite this country again like it once was? Well, if you look at if you look at about 1950, you'll see most of the South is voting Democrat and the rest of the United States is voting Republican. And then you start seeing some of what we're having today, you know, some divisiveness. And then all of a sudden you see around when Reagan's elected, most of the United States comes together and votes Republican. Um, yeah, and exactly in 1980... Ronald Reagan won just about every state except for, I believe, three states. Four. It was four. I think it takes both sides being able to recognize what they have. It takes also national tragedies. 9-11 brought everybody together for a few years. And then after 9-11, I mean, those were the days that I've... It's ironic. It is. It took a national tragedy and thousands of people dying to really put together a dreamland United States where everybody was buying up the American flags and waving them. Everybody was American. Nobody was white or black or gay or straight or whatever. Everybody was an American. Um, I think that we're going to go back to those days where we have some um, more unity. Um, I think those days are far in between, but I believe we're going to have some. And I think that the only reason we may have them is because the other aisle has the worst candidate you could just imagine. And I honestly thought that's what was going to happen this election. I thought there's going to be a lot more Democrats be like, you know what? I really do not like Trump, but I just do not see how anybody can elect Joe Biden as president. And I expected Donald Trump to have a little bit more votes than he did, um, way more. And of course that did not work. That did not work. And, I uh, am very, I'm still shocked right now that it is this way. People strictly, I think, voted for Biden because they hated Donald Trump that much. They just did not want to see Donald Trump in office no more. And let this be a lesson to anybody else out there wanting to run for president. Keep your mouth shut, be professional, and get off Twitter. Because that's what angered a lot of people. Even Republicans, he angered people in his own party. Now, yeah, he did mess up and do a lot wrong, but I will tell you this. He is one of the best conservative ideologues. He's one of the most conservative sound presidents we've ever had. Um, He's had a lot of streaks. He's really done a lot, but a lot of people are taking his character and putting it over everything else. And I don't think you need to be doing that in a country where his character doesn't define our lives. His action defines our lives. And that's ultimately what people voted against. And I think they're going to regret it here in about here. Give it, give it six months. 
And to answer that other question, you didn't give me a chance to answer it, but I don't think you wanted me to, but I want to jump in and say it anyway. I think that it's going to, uh, we're not going to find out about this election until January 20. I think it's going to come down to January. Donald Trump's not the kind of man that's going to concede this. He is not. He doesn't have anything left to lose at this point. Right. They give up all his stardom, his celebrity, um, apprentice shows. He give up everything to be president of the United States. And he's not going to give that up, especially not to Joe Biden, especially not after seeing the way this is. Anybody deserves to be salty after seeing the way this election turned out. Absolutely. I don't care if you're. I don't care if you're on. It doesn't. I don't care if it was the other way around. Yep. If this is the other way around, and Joe Biden was the one that was about to be winning, all of a sudden Trump came out of nowhere. If I was Biden, I'd be like, "What just happened?" Up uh, right there, I just said, "What just happened on Twitter?" Censor. So, yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off on that earlier. We were just going into other topics as well, so that was fine for you to jump in on that. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. Hold on, hold on one second. Let me ask Luke. Luke, what do you think? What do you think is honestly going to happen with the censorship of big tech companies? Do you think that's going to come to an end, or do you think there's going to be more conservative media outlets come out that's actually going to be popular? There, there there's definitely going to be some more conservative outlets that come out to be more popular. We've already seen with this election, Newsmax – is starting to take over Fox's spot as the conservative number one news channel because of how bad Fox did on election night coverage. Um, there's other options starting to slowly come out, and I know some of them are not super popular yet. You know, you've got like Parler and a few others that are kind of looked down on at the moment, but um, as they get more users and as other uh, competition comes out, I think it will improve. But Congress really needs to step in and stop the censorship that Big Tech is doing because it is absolutely not right, and it needs to end. So I think that the con- Congress should bring all the big techs together. They shouldn't necessarily have to break them up. I don't believe that would be the greatest idea. I believe that they need to set an ultimatum or set a bill where these big tech companies have to say one of two things. They're either a publisher or they are a platform. Right, exactly. And, and the difference between the two is a publisher is able to set the president precedence, but a platform it should not be allowed to discriminate whoever they want to. The platform is supposed to be able just to set a standard rule. As long as you follow those standard rules, then you're fine. But it's not directed to a certain affiliation or a belief or a... Um, like a political belief or a religious belief in those kind of lines. It's just a basic set of rules. So they need to essentially make these big tech companies say, which one of these are you? Are you a publisher who can just, who can just like the New York times, you can put whatever you want to on there, whether it's uh, verified or not, whether it's an opinionated article or whatever, you can put that on there and you can censor whoever you want to, or like I was just saying, you're a platform, you allow it, but it needs to follow your guidelines of like, you know, basically there shouldn't be no, uh, no kind of uh, sexism or racism comments, you know, just, just the basic things of being a proper human being, you know, just, just being respectful. Do you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah, so I believe that that's what needs to happen, and I believe Section 270 has a lot to do with that. 
whether or not it should be repealed, that is something that I'm not very versed in on knowing the, the exact wording of Section 270, but that's what's being talked about right now for these uh, big tech companies, whether it needs to be modified or completely thrown away. But it would be really nice to see a representative or even a senator of any type, I don't care who it is, uh, say, hey, we should bring out something in front of everybody here in our congressional seating or in the Senate, and we need to talk about how these big tech companies view themselves and how they should be viewed by everybody else. And they should distinguish it by those two things, either publisher or platform because Amazon uh, basically has a publishing website attached to it where it has, you know, the big Amazon book sales and all that. And they're able to say you are in this category. You stay in this category and selling your books. That's where people have to find you. And that's how you And that's how you search for those certain books because they can discriminate on those factors. But a platform, which is what YouTube was supposed to be, until, you know, a lot of the stuff you hear about, the shadow ban and stuff like that, you're supposed to post, you can post whatever you want to on there as long as you follow their basic guidelines of fair use. So I believe that somebody of a, of a political party who has that kind of power to bring that forward should bring forth some kind of bill that addresses that. I believe that would be the best thing to do. This, this would alleviate a lot of the political tension, and I believe that like, polarization in the country, I believe it would help lessen the polarization in this country as well for people to be able to freely see everybody's opinions without having to look 20 pages down into YouTube or several uh, posts down in, into Twitter, Twitter or Facebook in order to see these people that you're wanting to look at true yeah that's that's true i believe that a lot of that would be uh deflated and if this gets traction in the whole entire country which it may take years for that to happen because with the way information is spread across the country mm -hmm. with the way we get it delivered um maybe it will because i believe that every fair-minded person in this country wants to have fairness it wants people to be able to freely express themselves without uh, having prejudice upon them, without just because you believe in something, uh, that should just immediately mean that you should be shunned, even though that it is not something that directly is in the harm's way of somebody, which is yeah. in anybody's basic guidelines on their websites and on their uh, own platforms, that you should not be directly threatening people or anything like that. I agree with you, just like, and that's the same way with the freedom of religion. I, I believe that I could get along. I could live in a whole neighborhood of, you know, somebody that's a completely different religion for me. As long as their religion doesn't include waking up and throwing a Molotov cocktail in my living room at two in the morning, um, <laughs> that would definitely be something that'd be in my best interest. But I agree with you. Just because you say I should legally be able to get on Facebook and be able to spew all kind of incorrect information if I want to, but people should be smart enough to be able to decipher and go, hmm. I really don't know if Abraham Lincoln listened to Metallica back in 1827. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I believe there. yeah, so basically that just revolves around uh, a lot of this policing should be decreased on 
well, really not just the decrease on the policing of the websites. It should be like how they're doing the policing. Like there's no such thing as too many cops. You know that, that old saying there it depends on how they are uh, doing their jobs. It depends on what their focus is, what's their objective, what's their goal. And a lot of people now, as they're seeing Twitter, as they're seeing Jack Dorsey, as they're seeing uh, Zuckerberg, they are starting to wonder why does it seem like they are being more targeting instead of being more spread out and fair with the way that they use their policies. And, right. and um, a lot of people are starting to realize that now, and I believe that's going to keep growing until it eventually uh, it's going to come to a head. And we know that they have been put in front of the Senate several times, and they answer the questions that the Senate gives them, which I believe the Senate does answer, uh, give them good questions. Ted Cruz did do a really good job of questioning Jack Dorsey the last time they were there but I wish that he would have pressed even more on making him give a better answer than what he did. That wasn't sounding like such a PR answer for whenever they just, he just basically just refers to their guidelines. Instead, he should be referring to how he actually feels about it instead of keeping on reverting back to the company guidelines. Uh, I wish there was some more uh, questioning like that. And I, just accountability that's that's what i'm just really looking for and that's we're gonna have to have that and we're gonna have to have our uh our lawmakers be able to come up with a plan like we're talking about true very true you kind of cut out there a little bit robocop um couldn't understand you that well but uh i, I finally got the gist of what you're saying i agree with you 100 percent but anyway, we're pushing on an hour right here on this first podcast, so I figure we'll wrap it up here. Um, I'll go ahead and we'll end it with a question. Um, uh, who do y'all think is going to be the college football national championship coming up this year? Who's going to win it? Well, who do you think, Luke? Alabama. What about you, Leland? I think Alabama has a chance for it. I think Alabama does, too, if their defense can get even better. They've improved every game since the Ole Miss game um, drastically. Um, they really have a good freshman in Malachi Moore, one of the best shutdown corners in the nation. So, I think if they keep improving on defense, even without Jalen Waddle, I think they'll, I think they'll steamroll Clemson. They want some revenge. But um, anyway, it's been a good podcast. So that'll conclude the uh, episode one of We Are Called the Minutemen. And thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Everybody, sign off. <laughs>